Welcome to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series from Partners Connected Health. I'm your host, Joe Kavidar. Join me for interesting and thought-provoking conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are redefining the future of technology-enabled health and wellness. I'm often asked what companies I think are getting it right and what connected health technology simply won't work. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, Omada Health always makes my getting it right list. There are a number of reasons that I think Omada is getting it right. They pay great attention to the design of their platform, making the interface simple and seamless for the user. They created a high touch and highly personalized experience with social support, coaching, education, and a feedback loop baked in. They also use every trick in the book to keep people motivated and engaged. Omada has published several peer-reviewed clinical studies to prove the value and benefit of their program. Their strategy is to target employers, health plans, and payers who offer their service as a benefit. And the companies reimburse based on how well individuals enrolled in the program achieve and maintain their goals. There are many lessons to be learned from their model, and we're fortunate to have Sean Duffy, Omada's founder and CEO, as our next guest. Hey, everybody. I'm delighted today to be talking with uh, Sean Duffy, who I admire greatly, and it's a thrill to have Sean on our podcast. Sean is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Amata Health. And he is a, a self-described uh, tech design geek with a passion for healthcare. So we're going to get into that in, in our dialogue. But uh, it's no surprise he's most interested in bringing the worlds of technology and healthcare together, a passion that I share, and is uh, certain uh, that behavioral medicine is at a tipping point of innovation thanks to technology and design. We keep hearing about design, and that's something that I really hope we can cover more and more because there's a, I would say a disproportionate number of people who don't think first about design and that leads to some pretty uh, awful outcomes. So we'll get, we'll get into that in a minute. Sean's mission is to inspire and enable people everywhere to live free of chronic diseases. Who couldn't argue that that's a noble cause? Uh, Sean holds an MS in neuroscience from uh, Columbia. He was, uh, and again, we're going to talk about this too because it's intriguing. He was on the MDMBA track at Harvard and decided to bag that and, and uh, then work for Google and IDEO before founding Omada Health. So welcome, Sean. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Excited to, to have the conversation. Uh, you know, looking at your background, it's fair to say that you were torn between your love of tech and your interest in healthcare. Would, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's and that's something that has persisted probably since middle school. <laughs> to be frank, I mean, my mom was a nurse. My dad was an engineer. Um, so, you know, it felt like a noble thing for the <laughs> world to contribute to healthcare. But I was um, I think I wore sweatpants through a junior year in high school. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a dilemma you, you very successfully solved, uh, I would say, in, in your current uh, uh, in, in role and how you're spending your time now. Yep. Uh, after studying neuroscience at Columbia, 
you you got a job at Google, you decided to focus on the Tech Meets Healthcare there. Um, t- tell us a little bit about why you turned down the opportunity to do your MD, MBA at Harvard. Well, so it actually, I mean, it's kind of a, one of those serendipitous accidents um, where I studied neuroscience in undergrad and I, I, was, you know, I was graduating in 2006, which was just this incredible time in Silicon Valley history. Um, it's always interesting in Silicon Valley, but there it was just all these amazing things were happening. You had Google doubling headcount year over year. Um, it was just so interesting. And I had taken my pre-med recs. Uh, I had taken the MCAT, um, had thought, uh, you know, I might go to medical school. Um, but at night, I was just found myself at one, eight, one in the morning reading tech blogs <laughs> um, and, and frankly just kind of panicked about going straight into med school without, without scratching that itch. And I think when you're, when you're leaving undergrad, you, you, know, you tend to have a less nuanced view of potential career opportunities. So at that point in time, the decision felt very binary. Like I had to pick tech or healthcare. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was like, well, I'll scratch the itch and then I'll pick the path. Right, right, so, right. Um, I saw a cool job opportunity at Google. I went out, um, ended up working there for a couple of years and then quickly realized that there may be a world to combine the two. And that's when, um, I decided to apply to MD MBAs. And back, back then I thought I might build like the Starbucks for primary care, just a very tech forward primary care practice. So that was what I was thinking I would go do, um, to apply and enrolled. And then as you, pro- as, as you progressed uh, through that program, um, at Harvard, they had a requirement that you take an internship that's a mix of business and medicine. And I, I knew some of the people at IDEO, so came out there and um, you know, got the idea behind Omada and uh, you know, asked the dean for a year off and got it and two, went for two and got it and <laughs> went for three and I had to kind of fish or cut bait. So never ended up going back. So you still have a place, they're holding a place for you, is that right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. If Amada, if Amada is hugely successful, yes. And then otherwise, yeah, I'm like, right. see, you shouldn't yeah. drop out. <laughs> they, they, they'll hold, yeah, right. They, their development yeah. people will be calling. There we go. There um, we go. So, so that, that's, a, that's a fabulous story. And, and uh, I, I love that last part of it. Well, it was one year, two years, and you know, here we are X number of years later. So I think your idea, tell, tell me if I get it right, your idea was to target what you saw and, and, and really rightly so as, as a coming epidemic, obesity-related chronic conditions. How'd you, how'd you focus on that right away? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, you know, I think the biggest piece was just looking at the Venn diagram between enormous epidemiological problems and, and like how technology might help solve them. And you know, I've always felt that for you know, if you if you drew out kind of a mapping of where tech can make the most difference, it's in um, clinical challenges and clinical areas where they are chronic or or they require you know persist a lot of persistence and touch points between visits. Um, and and so you know you you can't spend much time in in the lip before, before realizing how utterly scary obesity you know related chronic is. We we you know we're in a, a situation globally where for the first time in the history of just humans, preventable chronic is killing more people than infectious diseases. Yep. So that's, a, you know, that's like a, a new, a new era that we're in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's an era that's largely driven by obesity. And, um, uh, what, what we found was that there was actually substantial evidence to show that in person, very, very high touch and high cost programs could make a difference at reducing risk. You know, it wasn't going to be the panacea, but but enough risk reduction that it was, you know, is needed to be part of a holistic approach and strategy here. So we start, you know, I started getting excited about just the literature 
Um, and then the, the task at hand was to, you know, brainstorm with my co-founder, Adrian, who back then he ran medical products for idea. Well, how might you concoct a digital experience that pulled from and built on top of the best elements of in-person programs? So, you know, that led to, uh, you know, uh, the, the program that, you know, we originally called prevent. Now we call the Omada program and, and led to the, you know, the, the company. So I have a, a, a so many questions. Uh, hopefully we'll get to all of them. But one personal uh, anecdote. When, when we first met, you, you may not recall this, but I don't remember what conference it was at, but you, you were on stage and I was on stage with you and you had the, the, um, the weight scale that, that has the uh, cellular chip in it. And we had a conversation about that. That, that was a few years ago. Um, I was always inspired by the fact that you took the energy to bring in uh, that sort of sensor environment. So many people that are trying to solve the problems that you and I are both interested in, uh, I think they skip that part because there's, there's more complexity in the design and, and more cost. But, but you, from the very beginning, used connected sensors. Tell me why that was so important to, to your uh, vision. Well, I think you know you you need it from a behavioral standpoint. I mean, you know, Mod is a group-based program, so we we um, you know, we first mail people hardware uh, and have a scale that you mentioned with a cell phone chip in it, and then we match people into groups, and then you're on a timeline or you've got a coach and like you know, curriculum and goals that unfold as you go through it. And it's really important to create peer reference points and to have both the coach and then your group you know feel inspired by one another. Um, and, and it, it breaks down a bit if you either do self-reported weights or don't have that at all, um, the behavioral aspects. Because like if you and I are in a group together and I see that you're halfway toward goal, but we're self-entering our weights, uh, you know, I think, well, maybe Joe's just like entering whatever. So you're not, you know, it kind of violates principles that you need behaviorally. And, and this is all in the spirit of the approach that, you know, we, we've taken and, and uh, you know, I've felt and had conviction on, which is like, I think early digital health really hoped that that one thing would do it. And externally, sometimes I call this the single instrument fallacy, but where, you know, great, get someone a great step tracker or get them a scale with a chart or hook them up with a coach or get a great online message form where they can communicate with, you know, others in their same boat, um, create good goal incentive architecture. So there's like clear timelines, have amazing enriching content, like do a really good food tracking experience. And the reality is the, the data show that, any one of those things alone is not sufficient to get an outcome that's meaningful clinically. So Omada in a way has taken like a full stack approach where we've controlled the entire holistic experience from the hardware to, you know, building out our own content, all the goal architecture, you know, our coaching organization, the group architecture, you know, all of our tracking approaches, both on food and activity. So um, the, you know, the, the secret, if you will, of Omada is that there's like not one secret. It's the art of tying all the right elements together on a timeline and using data to inspire how you pull which levers when. Well stated. And, and uh, again, I've, I've been inspired by watching uh, you, you and, and the company succeed. Uh, it, just mirroring my own learnings of, of similar type here in a, in a provider system, learning that uh, when, when, for instance, when trackers first came out, I was very excited because we had spent a lot of time before that trying to get data out of sensors and share, mm -hmm. share those data. And in the, before the, the Fitbits and the, the weight scale that you all use and, 
and the withings and so forth. Before those mm-hmm. existed, it was incredibly hard. Yep. So once we yep. could once we could do it, we thought this is this is it because I was so mm-hmm. I'm a quantitative person, and I learned yeah, that yep. mo- most of our patients are not, uh, and they need that extra motivational overlay that you so well described, and and so just to see it sort of scale yeah. uh, the way the way you all are doing it, it's very inspirational. Oh, thanks. That's no, been a you know it's been a, a, a journey, and just you know every every day just work to roll that boulder. Hopefully, it's not rolling a boulder like the myth of Sisyphus, though. Um. <laughs> no, it's we're making amazing progress. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, uh, for for our listeners, I, I featured Sean and uh, Omada in both books uh, that I wrote, "The Internet of Healthy Things." We we devote a number of pages to Omada as a pioneer in digital therapeutics, and. Uh, in that, we, we interviewed you, Sean. You talked about what you envisioned for the future uh, when, at that time, we called Prevent would, would go mainstream. In my most recent book, The New Mobile Age, we dove more deeply into your philosophy around tech design, uh, which you likened to writing a symphony. Um, and we, we provided an update on Prevent program at that time as well. You had, I think... This, this goes back uh, to last October, about 110,000 people enrolled in all 50 states. So how I, what I really want to get at here is to, to get you sort of talking, uh, free associating for us about how critical design has been. I, I alluded to this earlier. Tell us a little bit about that philosophy and, and how you think it makes a difference in your outcomes. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, I've, I've already touched on the, the single instrument, um, but you've got to, you've got to be artful about how you create the connections between them all and how you orchestrate the experience. So the first thing when, you know, when, um, people ask me about design is what I always highlight is like, you you, you need to make sure not to fall into the trap of over indexing on visual design. I think people think design is, oh, well, what's pretty, Mm. um, sometimes, um, but uh, you know, I call it almost big D design, which is like, you know, things that would fall into the category of that would be, uh, you know, I don't know, for someone who needs to take their meds in the morning, just like putting them in the sock drawer versus like seeking a tech solution. Yeah. So it's, you know, you know, it's making sure that you're make it easy. Yeah. Making it easy. You're, you're focusing on like the real fundamental laws of social physics, of human interaction, of human anxieties, and, um, not, not sitting down with people's in people's homes and like feeling out how they'd use the product can, you know, can make you fall into into those traps. So, you know, I, I love just like everybody, you know, the most amazing, beautiful products like that. That's a critical component of course, but it's like, you know, design is far more than that. And for us, the ability to create this sense of, you know, simplicity and temporality on a timeline is where the crux of most of our design challenges lie because you're, you're, you're rare to find in software, a code base that's on a clock. You know, like if you log into, I don't know, like Salesforce, your CRM tool, or real, you know, any consumer, Facebook from the consumer side, like you're, it doesn't check where you are in in like the experience and change the experience. So, in Nomada's program, because you know, clocks and time and goals are so important behaviorally, um, you have to almost design for every single week, um, which creates kind of an, a lot of opportunity, a lot of challenge. Like, how do you? you know, lay out this experience so that there's somewhat of a narrative and a journey for people. So, you know, that's, that's what, that's what you've got to focus on. And then I think the, you know, the other key way that I think of design is, um, 
um, you know, sometimes we get the, you know, criticism. So, oh, well, uh, you know, there's people that are motivated or there's people that are not. Um, and to, to some extent that's true. Like there are definitely people that the time is right in their life or it's not, you know, they weren't about to go, you know, make change and make lifestyle change and, and lose weight. But the, I've always viewed that as malleable through exactly. design where you, you know, if we, if we approached a big marketing rollout with not a surround sound approach, no sophistication, you know, not like deeply automated from a marketing standpoint, not accentuating the consumer aspects of what we do, like we wouldn't get anybody in. Yep. So, you know, you've got to like sell what you have in a way that like lands on a consumer and highlights the consumer value. Like we don't lead with, you know, in 2002, the New England General of Medicine like published a landmark study that showed yeah. it's, you know, it's like check out this incredible new benefit, like sign up now to start tomorrow. So you have to, you know, you have to take in consumer realities into the equation to have healthcare impact. And that bridge is not often built. You know, it reminds me one of the things that we often talk about here is uh, uh, strategies and tactics for um, engagement and, and sort of number one strategy is make it about life. This is your, mm -hmm. you know, goes to your sock drawer example and, uh, and, and, what, and the, the example you just gave. We had a, a fun anecdote where, uh, and this goes back to the days before smartphones, but uh, one of my residents mm -hmm. came into my office one day and said, uh, could we, you think if we sent people a text message that they would, that that would Im motivate them to put on sunscreen? And I said, at the time, I, I don't know, let's try it and see. So mm -hmm. long story short, we, we did a, a little trial and people who got a daily text message wore sunscreen 60% of the time versus <laughs> controls who did like 10, mm. 10%. And we were shocked because... Why, you know, we didn't, we couldn't figure it out. So we went back and asked. Now, the team did something that I didn't realize that they did that turned out to be brilliant, which is they put in a weather report at the beginning mm. of the text message. And the people all said, So it becomes us, useful. Yeah, they said, yeah. I, I don't know why I put on the sunscreen necessarily, but I enjoyed getting the weather report. Yeah, right? exactly. And so that, that's, oh, for sure. that's your, your uh, yep. st sock drawer story. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, I love it's like, I love technology. Like I buy every single gadget. Like, I'm, you know, it's like, <laughs> Me too. I remember like I was on some panel and I got like written up in some articles. Like I, like I bought, like I have a, I have an automated floss dispenser. You like press a button and it shoots out floss. Just because I like trying anything, but like, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta check yourself to make sure that it like, you know, doesn't, you know, that it actually lands well with people. Yeah, it has and some use, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that it has some use. Like falling in love with technology for technology's sake is not going to get you anywhere toward impact. No, no, that's, that's uh, and a it's big all no, easy. no. It's all too easy to do. Well, we all have stories of the 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 wearables and, and the, the connected wearables that we, sh we scratched our heads over, whether it's the uh, smart toothbrush or the happy fork <laughs> or what have you, right? Yep. Uh so we're all, I, I don't need to tell you this, but, but I will, we're all across the industry in awe of your, of your success. Uh, a sort of first try shot and, and the amount of uh, success you've had, the amount of money you've raised, the, the sort of positive impact that the company has had on human health. It just lines up. Now that's, the flip side is you must have had 
some challenges and you must have some some things on your mind that are current challenges. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you wish you'd done differently maybe or, or lessons learned and what's on the horizon for in terms of challenges. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. I mean, the, the biggest thing about Omada is we have a very unique, uh, you know, go-to-market. It's, um, you know, that scene on you know, Apollo 13 where they've got the, like, the square CO2 filter and they need to, like, somehow get it into the circular hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's, like, one of the best movie scenes ever. But it's, like, I always feel like that's Omada every single day. Um, I have a wonderful advisor, one of the, you know, founders of, of Truven who, in meeting him, was like, look, if you came into my office and told me that you were going to pull off what you pulled off in, in enterprise healthcare with all the inertia that you've got against you, I would have said like, don't do it. You're not going to be able to. Um, so we've, we've, we've accomplished a lot of landmark things in the healthcare system just through utter persistence. And, and, and but they're all challenging along the way, every single one of them. I mean, the, um, like we contract as a provider. So when more often than not with plans, we work with their provider contracting team, you know, no, you know, no different than like Brigham and women's yeah. would, um, yeah you know, we have a national provider ID. We, we took all of our trial data and brought it forward to the AMA for a CPT panel review and got for the first time in U.S. healthcare history, a digital specific CAT3 CPT code issued, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, by no means a slam dunk. Yeah. Um, um, you know, you had folks there that were like, yeah, we've got to do this. This is the future. And you had others were like, this is what they're for. Right. So, you know, you've got to just try to figure it out. And, but the reason we needed to do that is because, you know, you can't reinvent a lot of the interstitial tissue in the US healthcare system like it is what it is. Yep. Um and good luck trying to disrupt from the outside. Like you've got to figure out how to pull 13 it. Yep. And so, you know, that's what we've been doing and and you know, you'll it doesn't come without a challenge. It's like, well, there's been moments where, you know, all of a sudden we've have like perfect business alignment and like they're like, "Oh, shoot, like unless we do all this work on our claim systems, the way that they're set up, they can't accommodate that new code." Um and they'll do it, but it's like, you know, or you have to go through like extraordinary, like, you know, state by state by state regulatory diligence to figure out how to make sure that you're contracting in a way that aligns with all, you know, provider regulatory laws in every state. So it's like you, um, uh, you know, the, you have to have a level of zeal to try to figure out how to do this. And, you know, we're blessed that we have a lot of team members at Omada who are just really inspired by the mission and willing to power through. And then, and then, you know, but once, once you start to break those down, it's, it really becomes a beautiful thing. It's like, um, uh, you know, we've had a lot of, even just this year, it's been like an incredible year thus far for Amada. And we've had a lot of like historic things come to bear. Um, and it was just sharing yesterday at our company, all hands, a couple of them. And just like, you know, I, like I always want the company to recognize how like different what we're doing is and, and, and why that, you know, strategy is a great, a great thing. And it's really starting to, you know, to, to pay off in really meaningful ways. And, you know, I mean, our partner at Cigna, we're an in-network benefit with all of Cigna's members. Like you're, you know, it's, um, we're contracting, you know, with providers in many, many states. I mean, there are some states where we have enough coverage where, you know, if you're a clinician, you could probably refer in to in, and have a better than not chance of us getting, um, being able to get reimbursement for the program. So mm-hmm. nice, nice. Uh, tell me uh, the last, last thing I want to cover and, and then we'll, we can go completely, uh, rogue if we want, but Digital therapeutics, that seems to be kind of a hot concept now. You've Mm -hmm. been arguably doing it for, for, you know, eight years or so. Do you you think there's something there? Is is there an opportunity for software Mm -hmm. to 
have the same role in uh, taking care of diseases as chemicals? And how do you see that future playing out? Yeah, so I think the the it's a good the, the terminology is a good thing for the world. I mean, we we um uh, you know, we actually, I hadn't seen it used. I mean, we, we popularized that in, you know, as part of our series B, you know, with Andreessen. Um, and, and the reason the, the story behind that is actually like, I just kept talking to all these health plans and, uh, they'd like look at it and love it. Um, but then they'd send me like, you should talk to our software products team. <laughs> and then I'm like, actually send me to your P and T committee. Like as crazy as it sounds, like send me to the group of medical leadership that evaluates drugs and devices. Like think about us as a digital therapeutic, and and I started just saying that, and you're because you gotta like fit into people's mental models, and and that that is one that exists. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Paul thirteen, and and the and I was like, we should just make this a thing, and and so, you know, as part of our B or series B announcement, we started calling ourselves that, and you know, it became like I was gonna like, smile when you know I saw um, an article it was like, Andreessen dips its toes into the digital therapeutics market. I kind of chuckled. So, like that doesn't exist. Like, what are they dipping their toes into? Uh-huh. Um, but, but there is, there, you know, there is a lot of, there is a lot of progression there. And I think it's really neat. Um, uh, you know, you've got like companies that are publishing numerous clinical trials, like, you know, like big health, um, you know, uh, you've got companies that are just really treating themselves as therapeutics, like, you know, pair, uh, you know, Achille, it's like really interesting to see it evolve. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think that this is how, um, go to market pathways become more formalized and formulaic and um, structured, um, which is a huge net benefit. And if I mean, if you have something that's a software experience or software meets people that's consistent, it's safe, it's reliably delivers an outcome, and you've published on it, mm-hmm. and the outcome in the eyes of the U.S. healthcare system and the buyer has a clinical benefit and an economic benefit, um, or or you know the calculus of the rationale, and however they want to judge it. Um, uh, you, they want it paid for. Like, there's no reason why that, you know, that, that in my mind can't be the case. And if if it comes true, um, what's great about that is it will affect the entire uh, ecosystem. In that, if there's some successes there for investors, then that has a huge downstream implication of the early upstarts that are working on these. Where, you know, you can start to have well, this is the finish line, and these companies were really successful and delivered great returns for investors and had a lot of patient impact, um, like this company can too. And then you have a talent side where, like, you know, there's go-to-market people who've done it, um, I, you know, or like at least are loosely familiar with the model. So I'm quite optimistic. I think it's still early, frankly. I think it's like, um, you know, in large part, um, uh, you know, many of these companies still need to kind of make make broad reimbursement cases, and until you do that, you're not particularly relevant to, um, uh, you know, more traditional life sciences companies. So, um, yeah. you know, the that's where we got to go next. Yeah, fair point. I I love the concept as well. We some years ago, for instance, showed that uh, almost quite by accident showed that uh, enrolling teenagers with asthma in a Facebook group improved their asthma. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't. We didn't set out to to prove that. We we looked. We were looking at something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we've had many examples over the years of software having a therapeutic effect. Uh, but I. The flip side is I. I really, as a provider, I. I can't. It's hard to prescribe. Yep. The fulfillment isn't in the pharmacy. So. Yep. 
So we have a ways to go. I quite agree with yep. you. you. What you've done yep. is you've enabled people to prescribe it. You you have a fulfillment uh, pathway, and and so it's a it's a great role model for others to uh, to look at. Yeah, and I think I mean it, it's not um what's what's nice now is um, people are, people are publishing studies in more frequency. Like when I first started the company, it was so rare to have an entrepreneur like ask for advice and say, well, what should you know, what should my publication strategy and plan be now that's happening much more yeah, so get, yeah you're a leader great. in that space which is is fabulous but it's you know it's it's, it's great and i think that that will take it to the next level because like now a lot of my friends are practicing docs and you know if they're if there's a program like Omada that you know the vast majority of their patients are reimbursed for and we educated on them like they're they'd be really excited to send patients our way so what haven't i asked that i should and what else did you want to tell our listeners about um, you know, the, let me think on the, um, yeah, the, the one thing to touch on, you know, that, that we haven't, um, perhaps momentarily is the fact that there's an extraordinary amount of passionate talent, uh, in Silicon Valley and elsewhere that's worked in the consumer world and the tech world that actually wants to find a way to impact, uh, healthcare. And, um, this doesn't always go recognized by, the, the current healthcare institutions and in that they may not have the, the right recruiting orgs or the right, you know, language to talk to the right people or they're not in the right networks. And um, there's a lot of people raising their hand right now to work in healthcare, which I think is a, you know, is a, is a beautiful thing for the industry. And at the end of the day, people build companies. So the more, you know, design forward, consumer forward people wanting to use those skills to impact health, the better. So that's, that's the, you know, that's, that's the one change and, and neat thing that I'm seeing. I love it. I love it. And I always, uh, I would say we're, we're far too insular in healthcare, at least in the delivery side. That's my, that's my mm-hmm. vantage point. And, uh, for instance, I always think the, the, the world of behavior change, part of the reason it's so mysterious is that, that there are, there are four or five different, uh, sets of people who think they understand it and they never talk to one another. Exactly. You know, like exactly. the marketing people, the behavioral economics people, the uh-huh. psychologist, yep. and they could all learn from one another. So I, I completely agree with you that we need more of that. Agreed. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a lot of fun talking to you today, Sean Duffy, CEO and founder at Omada Health. And uh, I'm going to call. We have a new dean at Harvard Medical School. I'm going to give him a call. See if you can and, keep uh, my spot open. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, you know, if not, as I said, the development people will be in touch, and, we and we'll, we'll give you an honorary degree. How's that? There we go. Perfect. Um, All right. Thanks well, a lot. Great being on. Take, take care. Each episode, we take a moment to answer one question from our followers in a segment my team likes to refer to as Ask Joe. Our question today came to us via our social media feeds. What is the equivalent of the driverless car conundrum in connected health with technologies becoming a regular part of caregiving and clinical decision making? That's a great question, uh, one that I like to talk about a lot, and it's, it's this conundrum we have over how much automation is the right amount of automation, number one, and the second part of it is how we weave automation in. Uh, I'm sure everyone who's listening has been victim of trying to call a, a company's support line on the phone, wanting desperately to talk to a person and getting a menu of options that never leads to a person. That's bad automation 
and we should avoid that. Um, but I'm also betting that you've come across uh, things like checking yourself in at the airport or pumping your own gas, where once you get used to the automation, it actually is more convenient than having a human do that work. We need to, re to find the right balance. Robotics, tremendous tool, but if we overuse robotics at the expense of human interactions, then we're going to suffer. In fact, that balance between the human interaction and the technology is the theme of this fall's Connected Health Conference, and I hope I can see you all there to learn more about it. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like answered on a future episode, send it to us via social media with a hashtag AskJoe, and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming podcast. Thanks for listening to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavita. A special thanks from me personally to Tony McMillan, our engineer, and Lynn Josephson, our senior marketing manager, for putting this series together. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more, visit our website at partners.org forward slash connected health, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Connected Health. For more episodes of our series, search Partners Connected Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.